Good morning, church. Um, I was trying to picture what it was going to be like to be up here preaching. I've done <clears throat> prayers of the people with y'all before, and I've done the opening um, at church, but uh, preaching the word is something very different, and it's it's really humbling, and it's it's an honor to be here and to share with you what the Lord has been teaching me in his word. Um, and frankly, the message that I'm going to be speaking from today, Luke 18, 1 to 8, is... Um, is a really difficult passage for me to speak from because this is not an area that I have had breakthrough victories in. Uh, instead, I honestly find myself struggling and wrestling with the big idea that I'm going to be sharing with you. The passage that I'm speaking from is from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn there with me or you can read with me um, on the screen. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. That's just the one that I was using when I started studying this passage. Uh, This might be the NIV. The passage reads, Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Please bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being in this room with us right now. Thank you for delighting in each of us. Whether we succeed or whether we achieve our goal or fall short, thank you for faithfully showing yourself to us in your word and for revealing your love, bestowing your encouragement for our journeys on earth and showing us ways out and forward when we experience disappointment. Please soften our hearts and the minds of those who are listening. Cause them to be receptive to your voice, to your message of love. Lord, would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? Use me. Speak through me. I offer myself up to you, Father. And it's in your powerful name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. I, um, similar to Amber, I am a child of the 90s. And um, I'm going to open this sermon with a clip from a movie that you may know. And if you don't, I invite you to watch it. Uh, This is a clip from Cool Runnings. Anyone remember Cool Runnings? Yes? Okay, good, good. You, you should go watch it again if you haven't seen it in a while. Um, it's based on the true story of four Jamaican sprinters who, through an unfortunate event, did not make it to the 1986 Summer Olympics. Um, but they were determined, and they decided to form the first ever Jamaican bobsled team, and they wanted to compete in the 1988 Winter Olympics in Canada. The Olympic Committee in Jamaica, somewhat understandably, would not support them. And so these poor men had to raise their own own way to the Olympics, which, as you might imagine, is not cheap. 
Um, so I picked this particular clip because when I read about the nagging widow in Luke 18, I just can't help but see this scene in my head. So I may or may not have watched it multiple times growing up if this scene came to mind. Um, here we go. I'm not asking for a winter sports program. All I need is a lousy 20 grand so I can get us to the Olympics. That's all. This is the coach. Olympic Committee. These boys have never even seen a sled race before. I have been looking at sliders since I was 12 years old. If I say these kids can make it to the Olympics, they can make it to the Olympics. Well, I'll tell you what we do. Practice down there with the boys a bit more. And when you're a little further along, I'll come along and see you. No, no, no. Oh, just a minute, Mr. Blitzer. This country enjoys a highly credit tradition. And if you think I'm going to give you the little money we have so that you can parade us around in front of the world like a freak show, you've got another thing coming. It's bad enough how you embarrassed your own country. I'm certainly not going to allow you to embarrass others. No problem here. That's okay, Chris. We're getting away. Do the words give up mean anything to you? That's okay. Any means possible, just any means. Got to get to the Olympics. <laughs> That's his wife. of it was the last three seconds, right? The nagging wife, I'm sorry, the nagging widow, don't be a nagging wife, um, the nagging widow and the judge gives her what she wants so that she will stop nagging. And sometimes this is how we feel about God and how he answers our prayers. Maybe you've felt like this before. It's like he hears us, but we're bothering him. And he may or may not answer, but he'll an- if he answers, 
He'll answer just to get us to stop nagging him. Sometimes that's how it feels when we pray to God for something for a long time. Jesus tells this parable to a group of townspeople and Pharisees, and the main characters of the story are a judge, who, is a, um, who as Jewish people would have understood back then, was someone who symbolizes justice, someone who gave out sentences, and he helped resolve uh, townspeople's issues, determine what was right and what was wrong, and uh, he would try to do so fairly and peacefully. Jesus' second character is a widow. The main idea that I believe Jesus wants us to walk away with from this passage in this parable is in verse 1. Pray always and do not lose heart. I was supposed to preach this sermon a few weeks ago, but I got laryngitis, which is, you know, minor minor thing that you need when you're preaching. But I can't think of a better time to preach this passage following what Amber shared with us just a few moments ago. Praying always and not losing heart. And then at the end of this passage, what does it mean? When Jesus comes back, will he find anyone who is faithful? Your translation of pray always and do not lose heart may say, pray persistently and do not give up. So the first point is that we should just pray always. The picture that Jesus paints for us is one of the unjust judge who stands in complete opposition to what we know about who God is. What's God like? Take a look with me at verse 2. It says, There was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. The NIV translation says the judge didn't care what people thought. Not only is this what Jesus is saying about the judge, but later in the text in verse 4, the judge actually says this about himself too. Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone... He knows who people say he is, and he is fine with that. That's a red flag, friends. That's a red flag. That's a problem, because when we know that our character is not lining up with God's character, because we're supposed to become more and more like Jesus, right? But when we know that what we're doing does not line up with God's character, we must turn around and repent. We want to be transforming and growing into the likeness of Christ. And we are then held responsible. If we know that we should change and we don't, then we're held responsible for that by the Lord. So it's the selfishness of the judge that Jesus highlights to his listeners here. Jesus wants them to realize that the nature of God is the opposite that of the judge. God is what? God is generous. God is loving. God is kind, he is just, he is caring. He knows his flock and he looks out for his sheep, for his people. And while the judge is being selfish and only looking out for himself, like in the clip, did the man give him a dollar because he's excited about the Jamaican team going to the, to the Olympics? No, he gave him a dollar, why? Because he was annoying and he wanted him to stop, right? That's why he gave him a dollar. That is not why Jesus answers our prayers. He doesn't answer our prayers to get us to stop because he's involved in our lives. He loves who we are. He loves when we come to him and when he hears what we need, what we want. God is for us. The judge was not for the widow. The judge was for himself. But God is for us. And he wants to act on our behalf and do what is good for us. And because God acts in communion and desires fellowship with us, Jesus tells us to pray. Pray how? Pray about everything. 
He wants us to bring everything to him in prayer. He wants us to have a life of prayer where regardless of who we are, what we're going through, we're able to connect with God in every season of life. How is it possible, though, to stay connected to God in different moments and seasons? The easiest time to pray is when we're not doing okay, right? That's when we cry out. We might even have it in an expression, oh, God, right? That's when we pray, when, when we're not good. But actually, God wants us to pray all the time. There are so many different types of prayer that we may or may not know about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. I, am, I, have, I have a missionary father and mother, and my dad is probably one of the most grateful people that I've ever met. When things would go wrong, you could count on him saying, Thank you, Lord. As a young girl, I just thought it was ridiculous. Uh, I, I couldn't understand. It was very anticlimactic, right? Like something went wrong. We didn't get something that we needed. Thank you, Father. Couldn't understand that. But as, as I grew up, I realized what a fantastic example that was for me. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul also says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Jesus offers us the chance to present the chance to present anything in our lives to God in prayer. And here are some kinds of pra- different kinds of prayers that we can pray in different seasons, prayers that correspond to what we're going through. So here are different types. The first one is a prayer of thanksgiving. This is just thanking God. Thanking God his goodness does not stop even when things go wrong. So we can still thank God for his goodness when things go wrong because his goodness will prevail. Second is a prayer of confession, confessing sin and confessing the ways that we fail. You may hear Pastor Drew and Pastor Leon talk about it's a time to confess our sins during during communion. If you don't know what that means, maybe some of you kids don't know what that means or what that sounds like, it sounds like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for breaking your heart. I'm sorry for breaking your laws. That's confession. Praise is the third one where we return to the goodness that we see Back to the Lord. The song that we, um, that we sang, Bless God, God blesses us, right, with what he gives us, with his goodness. But we are also to bless God. We return to God the goodness that he has given us by the way that we praise him. And we can exalt God by declaring who he is. Fourth is a prayer of supplication. That also has to do with petition. Supplication, petition, when we ask. We repeat back to God over and over why we want it, why we need it. Supplication because we need the Lord to answer us for something. Five is a prayer of wonder and awe. This is probably a foreign one for some of you, but it could sound something like, oh, wow, this is beautiful. Thank you, God. You are beauty. You are goodness. Wow, thank you, God. I'm in awe of your nature. I am in awe of your provision, maybe. I am in awe that this wasn't worse than it was, whatever the situation might be. The sixth is a prayer of wondering, different from wonder, wondering. God, I don't understand. I don't get it. Why is this happening? This is still a prayer. All of these ways are ways that we can approach God because he wants us to come to him. 
He desires that we come to him. And that, friends, is what Jesus and the Apostle Paul mean when they say, pray always. Keep in mind that none of us are perfectly consistent with anything. If you've ever thought of, you know, started any new, uh, what do you call them, New Year's resolutions and then kind of fallen off the wagon, you know none of us do anything perfectly. You may not have been giving yourself to prayer for a while, and so today I want to invite you to return to prayer. God's not asking us to be perfect, but he is asking us to return to him when we fall off that wagon. Um, I'm, I'm first a wife, then a mom, and then I'm also a therapist part-time. And um, one of the things that I love to tell my clients is um, that when they don't follow the treatment plan or when they don't when they just fall off their plan, right, they just don't follow through with what we had set out to do together, um, I always tell them that it's so much more important to learn and to develop the skill to return to day one. Returning to day one is so much more important than never failing. We're going to fail. We're going to fail. But return to day one. Start over. Return to God. Come back to God. Return to prayer. It's not realistic to expect that we won't or shouldn't fail. So let's return to day one and return to a life of prayer. The second point that I want, um, that I think Jesus is making in this parable, is that he wants us to pray without giving up, following up on praying continually and, uh, and our candle of hope. Pray without giving up. What does that mean? The only other character that Jesus mentions in this parable is a widow. And as you may know, in the Jewish custom uh, of the time, the widow was the most vulnerable individual in society. She wasn't even eligible for remarriage, right? She just, that's it. Widows were likely to be the first ones to feel discouragement. They've lost everything, their source of income, their protection, They've lost the person who was able to give them any kind of standing in her town, in their group. And so when Jesus uses the widow as the only other character in this parable, I believe that she is the symbol of our vulnerability. Now, if you're a man, you may not connect as well or as easily to what I just mentioned about the widow. However, I know that you can relate to having been discouraged. You can relate to losing income. Experiencing disappointment when you don't get the job or when who you are and what you bring to the table isn't treated as valuable. You can relate to that. So as we present our supplications and all of our cares to God, there's no prayer or request that is too big or too small for the Lord. There's much to pray for when we feel vulnerable. And there are so many areas of potential disappointment. When we have all of our needs met, there are certainly things that we can pray for. And when we experience loss, rejection, discouragement, and lack in our day-to-day lives, like the widow would, Jesus wants us to persevere in prayer, just like Amber was encouraging us to do. Persevering in prayer. In spite of discouragement, he wants us to continue to be faithful in prayer, to continue to be faithful in bringing ourselves to him, whether or not he has answered favorably. Our prayers. God's not only God because he says, yes, Lily, that's a great idea. I will grant you that. He's not only God because he says yes. 
He is also God because he says no. You're still a parent if you say no to your child. Right? He is still God when he says no. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk was one who experienced a lot of discouragement. He's kind of an obscure prophet. Um, but he cried out to the Lord in one of the most raw manners that I know in the Bible. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Uh, we're going to put it up in a second. We read a fantastic example of what it's like for us when we are at our most vulnerable state. Habakkuk cries out, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Who's ever prayed that in some form or fashion? How long do I have to pray? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Ever read the news and wondered that? God, what are you doing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. There's a conversation throughout the book of Habakkuk between the prophet and God. Habakkuk is bewildered that God is not answering. He is surprised that God seems to be letting evil prevail. I can't tell you how many times, I'm kind of a news junkie, so the first thing that comes up on my, on my laptop screen is like BBC World News nerd. Um, <laughs> but, but I've asked God so many times, Lord, what are, what are you doing? What is happening? I don't understand. I don't understand. When we are at our most vulnerable state, we are discouraged, and we may also perceive, which is our understanding, not the Lord's. We might perceive that God is answering our, favor, our prayers unfavorably. We feel like God is absent, not listening, and uncaring about our situation. Right? I don't think God's listening. I, I, just, I, don't, I don't think he hears me. He must not be hearing me because I'm asking for something that he said is good. He must, he must not be listening. Right? But that is our understanding. Make the difference with me between our perception of what God is doing and what he actually is doing. There's a difference. When you read through the entire book of Habakkuk, you will get to chapter 3. And here's what Habakkuk says in response to God. After talking with him and pouring his heart out to him and telling him how he feels about what's going on. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive tree fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Can you say that when you have nothing in your fields? Can you rejoice in God your Savior when, there's, when there are no cattle in your stalls? What are your cattle? What are your fields? Can you still rejoice? Can you still find places of goodness? Can you still say, thank you, Lord? like my dad did after we had a car accident. Thank you, Lord. Can you? From a human standpoint and the way that I would prefer prayer to work, God still didn't answer Habakkuk, and he still doesn't have any food or safety, figs, cattle, nothing. None of his basic needs are met, but just like the persistent widow in Jesus' parable, Habakkuk didn't give up, excuse me, didn't give up even though All the things that he wanted and all the things he needed still had not been granted to him. 
And like me and you, even though we present our request to God, and we still haven't had the answer that we're looking for, or we haven't received the answer we desire, God is still faithful. He is still faithful. In verse 7 of the parable, Jesus says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Who are his chosen ones? Us. Us, his children. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they will get justice quickly. Now, our version of quickly is not the same as God's, right? That, that is certain. But I believe that the emphasis here is on the imminent presence of God to the vulnerable prayer warrior. I'm going to say that again. The imminent presence of God to the vulnerable prayer warrior is what God wants us to hear. He is there. He is here. When you look at scripture, when you hear Jesus say, God is faithful, pray with persistence, don't give up, God wants to hear our prayers. God wants us to present our supplications to him. He wants us to commune with him and um, experience fellowship, to connect with him in a life of prayer and remind us as quickly as possible that he is still faithful. Sometimes we only look for what we want to see his faithfulness. I'm only going to say God is faithful if he answers my prayers. But can you look for his faithfulness even when God says no? It's still there, but we usually only have eyes to see what we want. Right? And that's where prayer comes in. That's where the life of prayer comes in. When you pray prayers of wonder, when you pray prayers of supplication, that is when our eyes are opened to see God's faithfulness even when he might say no, or maybe, or later, not maybe, but later, to our supplication. The final point that I want to make this morning is in reference to the last verse in Jesus' parable. Verse 8. He says, I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them, and yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What does that mean? When, he, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What is he referring to here? Faith in what? Well, considering that God's version of quickly is not our own, I think that Jesus means that he wants to find believers continuing to trust in God's word. Will, what does it say? Verse 8. Will he find faith on earth? He wants to find us faithful to his word. And how do we keep faith intact? How do we not lose hope, like Amber was saying? I'm going to keep referring to you, Amber. So it's just such a perfect, um, perfect intro to this, uh, to this sermon. How do we not lose hope when we're asking God for something that, he, that might not be in our time to receive? How do we do that? How do I not despair when it feels like my life is being overtaken by evil? At times, it can feel like we're at, like asking, what's the point? If I'm not going to get it, what's the point? What's the point of trying or of praying if God is not going to answer me or rescue me? Why am I, why am I bothering to pray? 
God doesn't only answer our prayers in the present, though. And this is probably one of the most difficult things for me to grasp and to understand and to be grateful for, if I'm completely honest. God doesn't only answer our prayers in the present. God also answers our prayers in the light and in the hope of the gospel. When he returns, he will right every wrong. So sometimes our prayers that we think go unanswered now are going to be answered in full when he returns. Can you wait in faith, friends? Can you wait faithfully? Can he find you faithful when he returns? Jesus' life and his death, his resurrection and return are the answer to our faltering hope and the answer to our prayers that we feel go unanswered in this life. And they might go unanswered in this life. In verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, it's referring to Christ's second coming. Our faith and our hope as believers is in Christ. As the conqueror of death, the conqueror of widowhood, the conqueror of all of our vulnerabilities and discouragement, Jesus is coming back. When no, but nothing will be set perfectly right until that day. That's hard. That's really hard. Because what does that mean about some of our prayers? What does that mean about some of our desires? It means that some of them are going to go unanswered until Christ returns. Can you wait faithfully with me, friends? I have prayers that are probably going to go unanswered. You might too. But can you be faithful with me? In the meantime, pray persistently and don't lose heart. And when you lose heart, return to a life of persistent prayer. I'd like to close with Habakkuk 3:19 that says, "The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer." And he enables me to tread on the heights. The sovereign Lord is your strength. He makes your feet like the feet of a deer. And he enables you to tread on the heights. Amen. Amen. Amen.